Welcome to the shit show. Hello, my squirrel friends. So today it's just me, um, witchy pity mom on all socials. <laughs> um, so today is a listener request of unique sorts. So aside from the fact that I'm by myself for the first time in a while, um, I'm also doing two cases at once. And the reasoning for this is the cases are kind of similar um, and they were really close to each other in date. Uh, and so honestly, that's why that's the only reason why I'm like putting them together. Um, so the first one, apparently, because you know, I, you guys know how much I love these connections. Apparently, I was not far from where this girl was found. I slept in the house. Now, I wasn't there when she was actually found, but I slept in the house that was less than a mile from her body when it was found. So there's that. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Um, I lived in Buffalo during this time, which is not far from Rochester. Um, so that's kind of, you know, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So today we're talking about the, um, the case of Callie Poulton. Um, so Callie Ann Poulton was born to Judy Gifford and P David Poulton in September 1989. After her parents separated in 1992, Callie lived with her mother. Now, according to others, Judy's relationship with David was very friendly, even though they split up, which I absolutely love because nothing quite says, like, more concern for the child than the parents putting aside their differences to parent the child. Like, I just, I love that so much. Um, so... Callie was a very cute little girl. Blonde hair just adorable um now she was four when she disappeared which just ugh. <sighs> um so anyway on may 23rd 1994 callie was out on the sidewalk riding her tricycle while her mother checked on her from time to time but one of the times when judy came out callie was nowhere to be seen an extensive search ensued that eventually spanned the entire country uh, every resident who lived in the estate was interviewed, but despite the efforts of police and volunteers, Callie was never seen again alive. Um, and I, I, my heart really goes out to Judy because she like she went above and beyond to try and find her kid. And this is what I was talking about with Casey Anthony: is if your child is missing, you would go above and beyond if you didn't actually know where they were. And this is exactly what Judy did. She quit her job and she did everything she could to make sure that her daughter's name was in the public eye. Um, and even though despite her best efforts, it took two years for Callie's body to be found. So in 1996, investigators were led to a 30,000 gallon water tank that was part of a telecommunications building in Rochester. Um, they found Callie's heavily decomposed remains inside after draining the tank. Uh, according to the autopsy reports, she had been strangled to death. And the crazy part about this is the person who killed her was her neighbor back in 94. Um, the information regarding Callie's remains was given to the police by Mark Christie, a 24-year-old security guard. And you guys are going to love this. So, at the time of his arrest, Mark had been married to Lacey Ann Newton for about three weeks. Um, and during an argument with her, Mark let it slip that he was responsible for Callie's abduction. So, Lacey did the awesome thing and tipped up the police about this. Um, and then in August of 1996... Mark confessed to kidnapping and strangling Callie. 
Um, and when Callie disappeared, Mark lived with his infant son quite close to where Judy and Callie lived. Um, this is the part that just grosses me out, but I gotta, I gotta tell you guys because it's part of the case. <clears throat> um, Mark told the police that he invited Callie in after watching her on her tricycle outside. When he heard Judy calling out for her, Mark stated that he panicked and strangled the girl with his hands. After dumping her body in the water tank, Mark even participated in the search for Callie. Because you're a disgusting human being. Um, he was interviewed at the time, but passed the polygraph test. And this is why I say polygraphs are bullshit. Because this man passed and nothing tied him to her disappearance. But he was responsible. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to yawn. It's been a long day. Alright. Um, so, uh, however, just a few days after the incident, Mark was evicted from the property in response to complaints of exposing himself to two children. Uh, which is disgusting, you know, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Mark used to work at the telecommunications building where the tank was located. So here's my thing, okay? And we're just gonna, even if, I just feel like there was too many missteps here. I really do. I feel like if they had given him the polygraph test, but I guess there's warrants, like what would what would be the reason they had to look in the water tank? I don't know. I just, mm, just listening to, I guess it's a, you know, 2020 thing you know now that i see it as a whole i'm like okay you could have there, there should have been some leading here but who actually knows anyway i digress um where was i oh okay so in october 1997 mark pleaded guilty to killing callie and was sent to prison years later new information came to light that implicated mark in another murder that took place in 1988 uh, 74-year-old Viola Manville was shot with a BB gun and beaten to death. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Uh, at the time, Mark was a prime suspect because he had bragged to some of his friends about the killing. So, uh, basically, this guy can't stop bragging about what he's done, which is what gets him caught, which is why I would never get caught. Because I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Not saying that I would commit murder. I'm just saying I could get away with it anyway. I digress. So, <laughs> um, uh, okay. Uh, so even though he he you know bragged to his friends that he killed Viola, Frank Sterling was convicted for the murder in 1991 due to a videotape confession. One he later stated was coerced. New DNA evidence ruled out Frank as the killer in 2010, and, and he was exonerated after 19 years in prison. Um, when Mark was questioned regarding the DNA evidence that tied him to Viola's murder, he confessed to the police that he killed her as well. Mark told police details about the crime that were not made public. He stated that he partially exposed, Vi exposed Viola's body to the cold in a bid to quicken her death. Such a nice guy. Uh, in September 2011, Mark pleaded guilty to Viola's murder as well. David Callie's father rued the fact that if Mark would have been arrested for Viola's death earlier, his daughter could still be alive, which is not false. Um, Mark pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in relation to Callie's death and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. 
Prosecutors claim that Mark had confessed to a co-worker and his father about the killing. See, this man just can't keep his mouth shut. Um, as a part of his plea deal, the first-degree kidnapping charge was dropped. While in prison for Callie's murder, Mark pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of Viola Manville, too. For that, he was sentenced 20 years to life in October 2011 to be run consecutively with the first sentence. Um... So, after Mark convinced to killing Callie in 96, Julie, Judy was shocked because she always believed until then that Callie was alive. Which, I, I can feel. You know, because as a mom, you don't want to admit that your kid is gone. Um, and it just, it's heartbreaking. Um, uh, she said to papers, we can't even give words to describe our pain. She wasn't tortured, we know. We know she died the same day she disappeared. As much comfort as I guess she could get, I'd have to say we have that. Uh, as per prison records, Mark remains incarcerated at Sing Sing Correctional Facility in Osining, New York, and he is eligible for parole in 2041. Now, honestly, I hope that even though he is eligible for parole, that he doesn't actually get parole. And I have to say, I am pleasantly shocked at myself that I was able to get through this so quickly. <laughs> I think this episode is going to be incredibly shorter than the, the than other episodes. Uh, and I, again, I think that's a large part due to being by myself again. Um... Which I'm fine with, you know, I don't mind doing episodes by myself, uh, but it is nice to have someone bounce off of. Um, now, before I go on to the next case that I have for today, um, I do want to remind you guys that you guys can send me messages either on TikTok or Instagram, um, you know, whatever you guys would like to talk about, us to talk about. Um, I have quite a list going right now, um, but, you know, I can always update my list and squeeze some stuff in. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break to catch my breath and take a drink and pee. <laughs> and then I'll be right back. Okay, squirrel friends. And so we're back. Um, I know that was like no short break for you, but that was, I needed that. I, I was doing that weird pee dance thing that, you know, you do when you have to go to the bathroom, but you don't want to stop what you're doing. I do that to myself a lot. Luckily I do Kegels. So it works. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop being weird. All right. Um, so my next case, um, I won't lie. When I first got it, I didn't know if I wanted to actually do it just because it's been so done and there's been so many theories about it but i figure you know what i said if you guys requested it i would try to talk about it so that's what we're gonna do so the second case that we're gonna talk about today is a miss jean benet ramsey uh, i'm sure most of you i say that name and you're like yep know who that is i can even picture her because she was in tabloids for years um so, but for those of you who don't, JonBenet Ramsey was a beautiful little girl who was born on August 6th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, the younger of two children of Patricia and John Ramsey. She had an older brother named Burke. JonBenet's first name combines her father's first and middle names and her mother's uh, 
first name was used as her middle name. Which I think is stupid. But, you know. I, they, 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 they should have named that little girl like that. But anyway, so she was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder, Colorado. Um, Jean Bonnet was an American child beauty queen when she was killed at the age of six in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, the case generated nationwide public and media interest partially because her mother, Patsy, uh, who is also a former beauty queen, had entered Jean Bonnet into a series of child beauty pageants now before i get on with the case you either love child beauty pageants or you hate them i i like the natural ones uh and there is a difference between the run-of-the-mill child beauty pageants that you see like john benet was in and the natural beauty pageants natural means they can't use any of that stupid shit that they use in regular child beauty pageants. And that's what I love. Natural. These little kids are so beautiful. There is no reason to make them look like grown ass adults. There isn't. And that's just my two cents on that. <sighs> Take it or leave it. Um, <laughs> Alright. So. Jean Benet's parents initially thought that she had been kidnapped during the night. In a 911 call just before 6 a.m., her mother, Patsy, was inconsolable as she told the dispatcher that her daughter was missing and that she'd found a ransom note at the bottom of the stairs. Uh, the three-page long note said in part that if Jean Benet's parents called the authorities, she would die, and they asked for $118,000. Now, that is a really weird number. And it's not, I mean, I get that it's a rounded, even number, but it's just weird. That sounds like the price of a house. You feel me? Like, I don't feel like that's, if they had gone with 100000 or 150000 or 200000 that would have made a little more sense. But 118 is sus as fuck. But anyway, um, the letter also said that Jean Benet's parents would receive a call from the supposed kidnapper the next day between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. It was awful, Jean Benet told Barbara Walters in 2000. He said, first of all, we didn't know whether the kidnapper was going to call that day because of what, because the note said, I will call you tomorrow, get plenty of rest. I was deathly afraid that tomorrow was, in fact, the 27th. Okay. Um, police arrived shortly after the 911 call and began investigating the scene for clues about the kidnapper. However, with the Ramsey's friends showing up for moral support, they contaminated the scene by moving around the house. <laughs> um, after several hours, the police began to leave the Ramsey home. John Bonet's parents anxiously waited for the kidnapper's call with just one detective there, Linda Ar Ar Ardent. Ardent. You guys know I'm terrible at this. Um, <laughs> uh, but when 9, or 9 a.m., Jesus, when 10 a.m. passed and there was still no call, Linda said there's, there was no acknowledgement from either one of Jean Benet's parents that the deadline imposed by the author of the ransom note had come and gone. Linda suggested that John Ramsey look around the house for any sign that his daughter's belongings were out of place. Her father, Jean Benet, Jean, John, 
found his daughter's basement, her daughter's body in the basement of the house where the police had neglected to search. Um, which is just awful. <laughs> you know, like police are police are supposed to search your whole house when that kind of thing happens because kids do that. They hide and, you know, parents are frantically searching and then oop, there they are. So the fact that they didn't look good enough in her basement is just mind-boggling to me. Um, so, Jean Benet's cause of death was determined to be a strangulation with a makeshift garrote, a weapon in, that in this case involved a string wrapped around a piece of one of Patsy Ramsey's paintbrushes. The child had also suffered an 8-inch skull fracture, shocks from a stun gun, and sexual abuse with a broken piece from the paintbrush used in the garage, according to Brett Garrett, a former FBI agent and ABC News contributor who wasn't involved in Jean Benet's case. Um, Jean Benet's murder came on the heels of the OJ trial and quickly gained traction uh, with news outlets around the world. Um, so police immediately thought it was her parents. Um, mainly because the ran- they thought that the ransom note was written by Patsy and that the note and appearance of Jean Benet's body had been staged by her parents in order to cover up the murder. In 1998, the police and district attorney both said that Jean Benet's brother Burke, who was nine years old at the time of the death of her death, was not a suspect. Uh, Jean Benet's parents gave several televised interviews but res- resisted police questioning except on their own terms. Um, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so you're perfectly okay with going on TV but not the police who are going to help you find... Okay. Okay. And for the record, I think the brother did it. I think he was jealous of his younger sister's fame. I think he was jealous of the attention, and I think he did it out of rage. But we will continue. <laughs> All right. Uh, da, 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 da. I lost my place because I got. S- okay. So in October 2013, unsealed court documents revealed that a 1999 grand jury had recommended filing charges against the Ramses for permitting the child to be in a threatening situation. John and Patsy were also accused of hindering the prosecution of the unidentified person who had committed the crime of murder in the first degree and child abuse resulting in death. However, the DA determined that there was insufficient evidence to pursue a successful indictment. I again, I'm yawning. I'm sorry. Uh, Again, I definitely think that her parents were covering up for Burke. Um, in 2002, the DA's successor took over the investigation of the case from the police and primarily pursued the theory that an intruder had committed the killing. In 2003, trace DNA that was taken from the victim's clothes was found to belong to an unknown male. Each of the family's DNA had been excluded from the match. The DA sent the Ramses a letter of apology in 2008, declaring the family was completely cleared by the DNA results. 
Others, including former chief police Mark Beckner, disagreed with exonerating the Ramses, characterizing the DNA as a small piece of evidence that had that was not proven to have any connection to the crime. Exactly. Um, <laughs> in February 2009, the Boulder police took the case back from the DA and reopened the investigation. Now, um, there are two types of theories, two, two types of main theories about the death of Jean Benet. Um, one is the family member theory, which I agree with. Um, Boulder police initially concentrated almost exclusively on the parents, John and Patsy Ramsey. According to Greg McCrary, a retired profiler with the FBI, statistically, it is a 12 to 1 probability that it's a family member or caregiver who was involved in the homicide of a child. The police saw no evidence of a forced entry, but they did see evidence of staging of the scene, such as the ransom note. They did not find the Ramseys cooperative in helping them solve the death of their daughter, which is highly fucking sus. It is suspicious as fuck. Now listen, and I'm going to say this for the thousandth time. If something were to ever happen to my kids, you better believe I would be cooperating completely. And that I would be moving heaven and earth to find out what happened. So the fact that the parents were like, oh, look, it's 10.05 and no phone call. Like, the fact that they were just so meh about it is concerning. And the fact that they fought so hard not to talk to the police but had no problem getting on TV and talking to other people about the case. Like, ugh, just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um... Ah, da, da, da. The Ramses had said that their reluctance was due to their fear that they that there would not be a full investigation for intruders and that they would be hastily selected as the key suspects in the case. Okay, but if you really thought that, you would talk to them and get your name cleared. Like, come on. Um, theoretically, the strangulation could have been a quote-unquote red herring aspect to conceal other elements of the assault and killing. Um, Burke, who was nine years old at the time of John Bonet's death, was interviewed by investigators at least three times. The first two interviews did not raise any concerns about him. A review by a child psychologist stated it appeared that the Ramseys had healthy, fam caring family relationships. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, in 1998, Bo Boulder Police. Chief Mark Beckner said during an interview with a news reporter that Burke Ramsey was not involved in the killing of his sister. In May 1999, the Boulder County District Attorney's Office reiterated that Ramsey Ram Burke Ramsey was not a suspect and that investigators have never considered him a suspect. And I think, and this is just, you know, adding to the theory of the family, right? So I think it was Burke. For what I've already said, I think he was jealous of all the attention his sister was getting, and so he acted out of pure, unfiltered rage. And his parents covered up for him. Now, I think the reason why the police and the DA's office all said that Burke was not a suspect is because they didn't want to admit that the possibility of Burke being a suspect. Because it's, I mean, usually when you think about a killer, right, you think about an adult, at the very least, a young adult. Most people don't want to even admit the teenagers are killers, right? So if you don't want to admit that a teenager is a killer, why would you want to admit that a nine-year-old is a killer? 
So I really think that that's why they kept saying, oh no, it wasn't him, it wasn't him, it wasn't him. I think they were saying that because they didn't want to even consider the thought that a nine-year-old killed his six-year-old sister. Um, now the second theory, which we've already kind of touched on, was the intruder theory. Um, now police and prosecutors filed leads for intruders partially due to a unidentified boot mark left in the basement room where John Bonet's body was found. Um, early persons of interest include neighbor Bill McReynolds, who played Santa Claus, former family housekeeper Linda Hoffman Poe, Puh? Puh? I don't know. Uh, and a man's name, Michael Helgoth. Oh, that's an awesome name. Helgoth. Anyway. Who died in an apparent suicide shortly after Jean Benet's death. Well, now we know. Foot inserted into mouth. Talking about how cool the guy's last name is. And he killed himself. Um, hundreds of DNA tests were performed to find a match to the DNA recovered from her autopsy. Stephen Singular, uh, author of book Presumed Guilty, an investigation into the Jean Benet Ramsey case, the media and the culture of pornography, refers to consultations with cybercrime specialists who believe that Jean Benet, due to her beauty pageant experience, could have attracted the attention of child pornographers and pedophiles, which also makes sense. Right? Um, because she looked like a full grown ass adult, but she was a six year old. Um, it was determined that there were more than a hundred burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood in the months before her murder. Uh, and there were 38 registered sex offenders living within a two mile radius of the Ramsey home. Um, in 2001, former Boulder County prosecutor Trip DeMuth and Bo Boulder County Sheriff's Detective Steve Ainsworth stated that there should be a more aggressive investigation of the intruder theory. Uh, one of the individuals that was identified as a suspect was Gary Howard Olivia Oliva, Oliva, who was arrested for two counts of attempted sexual exploitation of a child and one sexual exploit count of exploitation of a child charges in July in June 2016, according to Boulder's Daily Camera. Oliva, a registered sex offender, was publicly identified as a suspect in an October 2002 episode of 48 Hours Investigates. Even with all that, this crime is still unsolved and remains an open investigation with the Boulder Police Department, which is just sad when you think about it, because <sighs> I know I said it a while ago, and I'm probably going to say it now. Just let the little girl be. Just let her rest. <sighs> it's just sad. Like, someone just needs to admit it. <laughs> Just fucking admit it at this point, like, because that poor little girl, you know, and I think, again, being a mom, like, I really think that it makes me feel like extra heart wrenched about the, these kind of cases, just because uh, at four years old, I would not have allowed my kids to ride a tricycle outside by me by themselves. Um, but a large part of that just is to do with my own paranoia. But, I mean, you know, 
I remember my mom letting me go out and play and I just had to check in at lunch and when the streetlights came on. And I was like 10, 11 years old and I don't know if I could do that with my daughter now. Just let her go by herself. Um, so yeah, I mean, times they are a changing. I'm sorry. I, listen, I'm yawning because I'm tired and so I'm being stupid because I'm tired. Um, I had my internship today, my first day at my internship, even though my class started last week. And as most of you know, I'm not a morning person. So having to get up early today and go do that is making me very tired. <sighs> but anyway, um, like I said before, if you guys have any case suggestions or creepy finds or witchy shit you want me to talk about, please feel free to message me. Um, I'm more than happy to cover it in a, uh, episode. Um, so yeah, that's it. As always, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love anybody else? Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> I forgot I gotta do it by myself. All right, y'all. I'll see you later. Bye.